welcome back or welcome to the Humans of Triathlon or Hot podcast where we bring you the ordinary but extraordinary world of triathlon one human one story at a time with the aim to inspire and to celebrate this life-changing sport and its humans through real authentic raw and enjoyable conversations with humans of triathlon from around the globe and from all walks of life Hello humans of triathlon this is Swapnil Chauhan here speaking from Melbourne Australia joined by my two co-hosts Sheila Trelevin from Grimsby Ontario Canada and Carlos aka Charles from London UK and before we get into this week's conversation with our guest we have some news guess what we have got our first ever podcast sponsor yay <laughs> that's right pretty exciting we've been doing this show for 10 11 months now and i don't think we've had like even a single ad of any kind so far because that's just not what the show is about for us and it still isn't but our friend Triathlon Taren has just come out with this amazing triathlon training series, which we wanted to support and get the word out about. So they've come on board as sponsors. So the series is basically an online series of videos and audio files from some of our favorite pro triathletes. There's Lucy Charles, two times Kona runner-up and swim course record holder, along with her husband, Reese Barkley, for the How to Swim videos. There's also Cameron Work, the Kona bike course record holder, for how to cycle videos. And if it wasn't enough, there's Sarah and Ben True on how to run. And guess what? Run, bro. We have Miranda Carfrey, Tim O'Donnell, and their strength coach, Erin Carson, on triathlon strength training. So guys, this is the best of the best of the best. Talking about what they know and do best. Yeah, and all of it has been condensed into these nice, short little videos covering specific areas and topics. And I think whether you're a beginner or whether you've been doing the sport for a while, I think there's a little something for everyone in there. So for more information you, or to get the courses, you can visit humansoftriathlon.com forward slash pro try. So P-R-O-T-R-I. And if you use the code humans of triathlon, you can get 20% off. Honestly, I believe the prices that the courses are at, I mean, it's, it's, it's a complete steal. To, you know, just be able to get an insight into the way these pros think about their sport and the way they do things. So, and yeah, we previously we've had quite a few people ask about how they can support the show and support Humans of Triathlon. Well, this would definitely be one way to do so. So make sure to check out humansoftriathlon.com slash pro try and coupon code Humans of Triathlon for 20% off. All right, now let's get into this week's episode. It's going to be a good one. Ironman triathlon is more than just a crazy sport. It challenges those who choose to partake to push themselves beyond what is physically and emotionally comfortable. Triathlon takes us beyond the voice in our own head that says you can't and proves to your inner self that you can. For many, crossing the finish line, hearing an outside voice call their name, brings the reality home of what they have accomplished. Hearing that voice brings about emotions that are hard to describe in words. Today's guest is that incredible outside voice that all potential and current Ironman are longing to hear after a long, grueling day. His voice is the crescendo that brings tears of joy and hoots of excitement that lets you know that you have reached that hard-earned goal. 
Our guest has ushered in over 350,000 athletes in 180 Ironman events around the world to the finish. He is the voice who inspires those to keep going until the very last second of midnight when the Ironman clock stops. He has been the, the announcer 30 years running at the Ironman World Championships in Kona. He has an amazing new book out to tell his stories titled Finding My Voice. He is more than just the voice of Ironman. Welcome, Mike Riley. Welcome, Mike. Wow, thank, <laughs> thank you. That, that was one of the best intros I've ever heard. That was fantastic. Thank oh, you very much. Thanks. I'm glad you're here. I'm, so, I'm really excited. <laughs> yeah, we've definitely been looking forward to this. So, Mike, you are the voice of Ironman. You have been a constant figure in the world of endurance sport for a long time. You have all these different accolades that Sheila just talked about. And But did you ever imagine that you would get the opportunity to be on the Humans of Triathlon podcast? <laughs> <laughs> I've, been, I've been dreaming about this for years. It's about time you called. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's an absolute pleasure to have you. My honor. Thank you. I have to say, I have to say, Mike, that I am. I feel at the moment, right, like a teenage girl, a fifteen-year-old girl, <laughs> who still wears metallic braces, and she's in the first row of a Justin Bieber concert. So that is how I feel right now. Well, I don't have that many tattoos, so I sorry, sorry to disappoint you there. <laughs> exactly. So your book just came on, Mike Riley, Finding My Voice, a couple of weeks ago. Um, first of all, congrats on that. That's It's amazing. So how, how have the last few weeks been? I'm sure you must be super busy in the having a packed schedule because of the launch and everything that goes with that. It, it, it's been busy. It, it was really a lot busier the last month or two of putting the final words together because rereading, going over it again, over changing, making changes, doing the audio in our studio. And, and so when, once the book came out, I go, okay, well, now I've got this book signing, this book signing. I go to this race, and and uh, sure, it's it, you know, it's it, I, I'm right where I want to be. So it's no matter how busy I am, I'm I'm happy. I'm there because I want to be. So what more can you ask for? Yeah, totally. So before we hear more about the book, which we'd love to do, um, we just love to hear about the story and journey of how you became the voice of Iron Man. Like, how did this all even begin? Well, I, I was announcing a lot of races in Southern California from the late 70s all through the 80s. And, you know, I was doing running races and triathlons. And I, I worked the first ever professional triathlon uh, in Solana Beach right here in San Diego County. And, you know, I was just a part of the business. I was racing and I, I represented, uh, you know, shoe lines and I represented power bars. So endurance sports was was my world. And, and I always loved to public speak. And I took Toastmasters classes, and I was, a, you know, in sales. So you, obviously, you got to be able to speak in front of people. So it just, it just kind of was natural to me. And in 1989 is when I've got, I got that phone call to, how would you like to come and assist the uh, announcer in Kona? You know, it's like being called up to the big leagues. You go, are you, are you <laughs> kidding me? And and all those years in San Diego, you know, with Scott Tinley and Mark Allen and Paul Newby Frazier, and I, I, you know, I'd, I'd see him training or I'd run with him and. And then they'd all in October, you know, head off to Kona, and I was jealous as heck. And I said, "Come hell or high water, I got to become a part of that event somehow, some way." So I started training for it, and that's when the phone call came. So how do you get into announcing in the first place? Yeah, I was at a 
it was a 10K race, and I had, during the week, pulled my hamstring a little bit. But I went out to the race anyway. It was out in Mission Bay here in San Diego, and just to go watch buddies run and stuff. And, and so I get there, and the race takes off. And the race director, I've got her in my book, Lynn Flanagan, who uh, I knew very well. She goes, what are you doing? Why aren't you not running? I said, ah, I pulled my hammy. She goes, well, here, I got this microphone and this one speaker and, and a printout of the of the entrance. There was about 350 in the race. And Why don't you call their names? You, you know who a lot of people are. And I'm first thing came to my head was, I got a lot of buddies running in the race. I can I can give them a hard time when they come on in like, hey, you should have trained. What's wrong with you? And, and, <laughs> and, and I said, okay. So I started calling people when they came in in the winter and, and their names from the list and looking it up. And, and I saw these expressions on people's faces when I would yell out their name. And I go, yeah, that's cool. You know, I'd, I'd love to hear my name when I finish a race. And, you know, you, you accomplish something and somebody's telling you great job or good job or well done, no matter what it is. So it just kind of kind of grew from there. I mean, it, it then, you know, I do a few races then I'd run some. And then all of a sudden a race director came up to me and said, hey, I'll pay you this to do. I go, what? You'll give me money to, to, to talk on the microphone? I, I thought I was just having a good time. And. And it, it just kind of blossomed, you know, over the year by year. It just started blossoming. Have you, just kind of going back, you were training to go to Kona. Have you ever done an Ironman yourself? You got to read my book to find that out. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting. I ordered it, but I'm waiting. <laughs> no, I have not. I mean, I, 89, 90 was the years I was going to do Kona. And when I got on that microphone, I just figured – well, I'll, I'll be on the microphone here for a couple of years and, and then I'll do it. Cause all you had to do is fill out the entry form and go back then. And, but this thing just, it just kind of, I, I grew with it. It grew with me. I, I just didn't want to get off the microphone. It, it, that, that's my Iron Man right now. Will I ever do one? Sure. Maybe one day, but, but I'd much rather be on the microphone telling 2,500 triathletes that they're an Iron Man at the end of their day. Uh, that's what, that, that that's what I'd rather be doing. Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask. Like when you switched from racing yourself to announcing, like why did you found, find announcing more um, exciting than racing itself? Well, I didn't just cut racing off. I mean, I, I ran marathons all through the 80s and 90s and did triathlons. So if I, I, I wasn't on a microphone at every event. So I was, I was kind of getting to do both. I had the best of both worlds. But the Hawaii thing was completely different because – I only saw myself doing that race once, you know, you're, this is 89, 90 and you got two little kids and you go, uh, wait, honey, I'm going to go to Kona and go do this race. You go, what? You know, so, uh, but when, when they started paying my way to go over there and give me a room, I'm going, oh, this is not a bad deal. This is a pretty good deal here. So, uh, I, you know what? I, I, there's not much better things you can do in life than make someone else happier. And I have that opportunity to be able to add a little bit to their happiness at finish lines throughout the world. And when I see their face and I see how they light up and I see especially family and friends that are in there and their and their children, the example they're leading for their kids. And and uh, I, I get to tell the world that they accomplished something that very few people accomplish. You know, that that, that that's the most satisfying thing that. Uh, I have in my life besides my family. Is that is that the motivation for you during the day? Because I've seen you at Trombon 
bringing the people in across the line at midnight, right down in the finisher shoot. And you have more energy than most of us had at the beginning of the day. <laughs> and it's so amazing to watch. So how do you keep that energy and excitement going through the whole day the way you do? People ask me that all the time. And I don't, I don't look at it as, oh my gosh, I've got to go another hour or I got to keep this pace up. I, I am just in the moment of that individual finisher. When I'm bringing someone in, we're having a one-on-one -on -one conversation and it's like I'm bringing a friend home. I'm, I'm bringing, so I, I just get amped up and, and energized by, by everybody there. The crowd, when I, when I see them and they, there's a little bit of a lull in the crowd and I'll challenge them, come on, all you're doing is clapping your hands. You know, next thing you know, oh yeah, oh my God. So it, it, it's just what I do. And, and, Sure, I, I you know I, I go back to the room at twelve thirty one o'clock in the morning and I'm I'm beat up. It's a it's a physical day and you know the voice hurts and the back sore and the, the feet from standing. You know you just you're beat up. But oh yeah, not not during the race. I I just I don't know. People ask me that all the time, Sheila. But how the hell can you keep that going? I I went to dinner. I came back and geez, you're still dancing. What the heck's going on here? So, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. It just happens. Well, I'm glad it happens because that was my that was it was an amazing thing to watch and and like it it's just so exciting and the chills happen and the tears come to your eyes as a you know as you you come and watch those finishers. Um, like you said, you go for dinner, you have your shower, you come back, you watch the finishers come through the end. It's like the most exciting thing I think I've ever seen. I, I don't remember which race. It might've been Lake Placid, but at the end of the day, I said something like, oh my gosh, what a great day, you know, signing off. And I said, and I get to do this again in three weeks, whatever that next Ironman was. And uh, oh, uh, I'm walking away back to the hotel and a woman came up to me. She goes, uh, Mr. Riley. And she was like, you know, older than me, call me. I go, don't call me Mike. She goes, I really, you were just kind of kidding with us, weren't you? And I said, kidding about what? That you do this again in three weeks. I thought Lake Placid and Kona were the two races you do. And that was it. I go, no, I do like 12 or 13. She goes, I, and I can't repeat what she said. Are you, sh you know, I go, no, I'm not. <laughs> she goes, oh my God, I, I love you even more. She gives me a hug and she goes, to, walks away. And I go, okay. So it just, people are more amazed at it all than sometimes I think I am. It's just who I am. So do you have like a race day strategy? Like obviously you won't just rock up to the event mo event morning one day and just get on the mic and start speaking, you know, like there's obviously a preparation that's going into that. So what what does your preparation look like? And do you have any, or how do you like, is, do you have like a nutrition strategy or anything like that throughout the day? Yeah, I mean, I, I prepare by reading the database, seeing how many people, reading the special interest stories, you know, just trying to get a feel uh, for the event through the data, through the through the athletes. Obviously, if it's a pro race, I've become very familiar with them because I do a yeah. pro panel before the race, you know, all that that stuff. And the welcome ceremony, especially like in, like Sheila said, in Mont it's it's just a tremendous ceremony there. And, and so you prepare for that. And uh, when race day comes, you know, I... I take care of myself and stay in shape and 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 I know what I need during the day. I just have been doing it so long. I know how much water I'm going to drink or how much, you know, Gatorade or whatever it may be because if I go too much, I'm in the bathroom too much, I miss people. So I, I, I'm kind of on the edge of hydration. <laughs> I, don't, I don't eat 
you know, a tremendous amount during the day because you just can't have a full stomach and be doing what I do because I'm speaking from the diaphragm. So it's like an athlete out there on the bike for the 112 miles or what nutrition they got to get and the same on the run. And you just, I just, I just kind of know, I kind of know, I, I've never lost my voice at knock on wood on race day and to where I couldn't speak. And, and I will myself not for that never to happen. I, I just know what I need to do to stay healthy all day long. Yeah. I'm sure athletes would not like it if you missed calling them out. <laughs> oh, trust me. If I, if I am in a porta potty or, or somewhere else or, and, and I don't call them, I hear it. I, I get the message. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask that too, like, cause there's certain times during the race where, you know, it's not just people coming in spaced out. Like there might be a, a, a jumble or five or six or so many coming across together at the line. How do you, how do you um, deal with that and try to make each one of them feel that special? You're an Iron Man. Well, I always get the name out. If if there's five or six, I know they still hear me after they finish. Because if there's seven coming at a time, it, it's going to take a little bit to get all their names out. Yeah. Call them an Iron Man. Some I may get before the finish line. Some I'll get at the finish line. And the others will hear me after they've already finished. So while it's the, it's the best, if I've got one person coming down and I can say, you know, Jimmy Brown from Tucson, Arizona, seven-time Ironman finisher, three times here in Lake Placid, you are, you know, and I let it loose. And, yeah. and it's it's like introducing an, a, a singer to the stage. And But when there's a bunch of them, I just have to do the best I can do to get their names out and, and tell them what they just did. Actually, I want to ask you, Mike, about uh, these fa the famous four awards, right? So what's the story behind uh, the sort of you are an Ironman? For example, when you joined, the first time you joined uh, the Ironman organization, and when they called you up and you said before, do you have like a written job description where it said, race announcer, job description? You need to say when the person gets to the finish line, insert name here, insert name, country name here, you are an Ironman, period. So was that something like that or something that just came along? Uh, I don't know. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, it's, it, uh, that certainly wasn't how it happened. You know, I, I cherish my role as, you know, it's, it's a symbolic focal point of, of a great singular achievement. So, you know, I'd like, to, I'd like to be able to tell you that I sat down one day and racked my brain to come up with a phrase that would capture the true meaning of what they just did. But it didn't happen that way. It was in, I had announced Kona in 89 and 90. It was 1991. And a friend of mine from San Diego was there in, in Kona. And I saw him on the street a few days before the race. And he was all nervous. And, and I had run with him here in, in, in San Diego. And he's a great athlete, good shape. And he goes, I don't know, Mike. I don't know if I can get it done. I had such a bad race here last year. And I go, you're going to be fine. Don't worry. You're 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 strong you're in shape and, and he goes yeah and walked away and we didn't see each other until the day before the race when he was checking his bike in and i said hey dan how you doing oh, i'm all right and i could tell he still had that down on himself attitude and and i said hey you, you gotta pull yourself out of this you got an iron man tomorrow he goes yeah i know i said don't worry you'll be an iron man it's gonna happen and he goes all right and i saw him perk up a little bit well Race day came, and I thought about him a couple of times, but I hadn't seen him. And this was 89. There's 
there's no athlete tracking. And, you know, I was getting reports from people out on the course on a payphone telling somebody, you know, hey, so-and-so just passed by me. Oh, that's great. How fast was he going? Oh, he was going fast. I don't know. So, you know, that's the kind of, that's the kind of communication we had. Well, I'm on the uh, microphone when I, I got my binoculars out to, to spot, and there he comes. And he's coming down the lead drive. And I recalled our conversation and how nervous he was, and I yelled out, Dan Trone from San Diego, you were an Iron Man, and, and and I actually pointed at him, and he pointed back at me, and it was just me telling him, "See, I told you so. You'd get through this. You're an Iron Man. Be be happy, be proud." And you could tell by the smile on his face. And but then I heard something that I didn't think I was going to hear: the crowd, the roar of the crowd, and they they didn't know this guy from anybody else, you know, but it. The, the the crowd was yelling as loud as almost when the winner came in. Hmm. And I go, whoa, okay. Well, yeah, they are not man. So the next person's coming, and I go, I yelled out their name and said the same thing. And the crowd even went louder. I'm going, that's right. They are an Iron Man. And that's how it was born. Wow. And a, a few athletes later, I've got a woman coming in. Now what do I do? Is she an Iron Woman? Well, yeah, she's an Iron Woman, but this is an Iron Man. Here I am talking to myself in the tower going, what the heck's going on? Maybe will, will they be mad at me if I say Iron Man for a woman? Will will she be mad because she wants to be an Iron Man or not an Iron Woman? I don't know. You know, no, there's no history here. I had no book. I'm just, I'm I'm on my own. And But when she came in, I yelled, well, this is an Iron Man event. They're not. So I yelled, you are an Iron Man. And she waved to me and smiled on her face and I, oh okay that's cool i got by that one that's good all right i guess everybody will be an iron man and uh and that was dan trone from you know he was the very first one i ever called that and he's early in my book at, at the whole story of how it happened and what, what you have to read is what he said to me afterwards which was amazing for sure back to that iron woman thing just a question that was back then, but do you find that you get any pushback on the Iron Man slash Iron Woman? Now it's it's uh, you know 2019, and sometimes there's some more politically correct. I I hear not, nothing. I hear nothing. I hear I, I I don't have anybody coming up to me. Whether it was the last race last year or five years ago, I not long after that Kona. I was announcing, it might have been Australia, and uh, a woman came up to me on the street and said, you're going to say that to me, aren't you? And I go, say what? You know, I want you to say you are an Iron Man, not Iron Man. I want you to say you are an I go, okay, I, I, I'll, that's what I've been doing. And and here it was coming from her. So it, it just really, it, it's weird. I, I guess if someone on the outside goes, well, why wouldn't that person from that Iron Man race, say Iron Man or Iron Woman, but I don't know. It just works with Iron Man, and and I'm not calling her a man. You know, it. Remember, it's it's not an endorsement of what they did that day. It's it's a certification of what that person became. It, it changes people, and you are an Iron Man. Is just you know what? It's just universal. <laughs> it's just yeah. universal. I agree. Thank you because that's you know. It just—it really wouldn't have the same ring to it if you, if you changed it. It wouldn't be the same. I love how you've, you've evolved to become this, you know, 
a very important part of the whole Konar or whichever race you're doing. You like people want to travel to different races just so that they can be called by you know. So like, <laughs> I, I know. How does that make you feel? I mean, you're a big part of this the whole Kona experience for athletes or whichever race they're doing. It, it's humbling. I I you know I'm just a husband and a and a dad and a and a papa to two you know grandbaby boys and. And when I come home, my wife still tells me to take out the trash. So <laughs> I, I just, it, it's just humbling. You know, I, people go, oh, my gosh, you're not doing Louisville because you're in Kona. Can't you not do Kona and come to Louisville? I go, well, I can tell you one, one thing for certain. That'll never happen. Sorry about that. But uh, that's why I've, I've accommodated so many. I, I probably make, I don't know, 10 to 15 to 20 calls a, a month to people who especially during the season, will say, hey, you weren't at this race or I didn't hear you and I could have missed them or or I was in the bathroom or whatever. And I ask everybody, give me your phone number and I call them all up. Oh, and I'll, really? I'll tell them personally. Yes, I, I call them all. I've called nice. hundreds and hundreds of, of people. And and uh, it, it gives me as much pleasure because usually it comes from like a spouse or a brother or, oh my God, my brother didn't hear it from you. And he's freaking out. He's just been a, a, I can't even live with the guy, you know, stuff like that. And I go, okay, give me his phone number. He goes, are you kidding me? I go, yeah. And I'll call. Usually I do it instantly because I'm the kind of guy where do it now or you may forget, you know, so I'll call. And if they answer, the conversation usually goes like this. Hi, Hey, is this Jimmy? You did Ironman, uh, Coeur d'Alene? Yeah. Uh, well, okay. I heard you didn't get to hear something at the finish line that you really wanted to hear, and they usually go, "Wait a minute, is this Riley? I, is this a is this a prank? Who is who is?" I go, "Yeah, it's it's me, and and I, I want to be able to tell you one on one, and I'll get grown men crying on the phone. They can't even get it. Oh my God, are you kidding me? And and uh, we have a conversation, and then at the very end, I go, "Well, I'm, I'm going to leave you with this," and I say their name, and I, I tell them. That they are an Ironman, and and uh, and some some will go. Okay, now when I hang up, can you call back and put it on my phone? I go, no, I'm only going to give it to you once. I I can't. And sometimes people, a lot of times, won't answer because they don't know my number and they don't pick up. And I'll leave it on the voicemail. They'll call me back immediately. Oh my God, I can't believe you just did that. You know, so but they deserve it. So why not? Oh, that's awesome for you to do. Yeah, I think it is. It is impressive. It is impressive the the effect that these four wars have on people. Like you say, even on grown men, it's just. Uh, I know. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who you are. I I know by a fact. There's. Pe I have these discussions with friends of mine who would rather uh, definitely do an Ironman branded race just to hear the the the, the, the words, just like that. Even even if you have like very prestigious races. Uh, in other places, they just want to do Ironman, I don't know, whatever, just to be able to hear and, and, and feel that sort of, uh, so it's impressive, really. It, it, it is. It's still, I'm still amazed by it, and I, I, I'm glad I'm amazed by it because I'm, I, it, it, it's never lost its luster with me. Everyone is a new one. Uh, it's not repetitive or mundane. You know, I, I could do it till I was, I think I'm 200 years old, you know, so I, I, I just, how, you know, I don't know where the end is, but right now there is no end. It's just, we'll just keep seeing what happened, you know, but, but friends of mine get kid around with, we're for a ride 
last month. They go, Riley, you're going to be up there on this stage. You're going to have an oxygen thing coming out of your nose. You're going to be sitting in a wheelchair, and you're going to be drooling. You're going to not even be able to get the words out. <laughs> these people out there are going to want to hear you even when you're half dead. I go, oh, trust me, that will be happening. I won't be doing it when dad, you know. So, <laughs> but it's funny when they talk about that. And you know what? People will still want to be. It's, it's true. They'll still <laughs> want to be called out by you. Yeah, for sure. So how do you decide what races you're going to do during the year? Well, it, it, it you know, I, I, I always do Lake Placid. I, I started there in 99. Uh, as the first, you know, North America or U.S. mainland race, and it's near and dear to me. So, uh, you know, I'll probably always go to Wisconsin. I love Texas. Uh, obviously, Kona is never going to leave the schedule. And then I just start taking a look around at at the at the schedule and, and events. So, like, I'm going to Ironman Ireland this year because it's a first-year event. So I always like to be a part of first-year Ironman. Uh, and Ironman wants me to be there, too. And, you know, set, let's get it going right and all that good stuff. So, so I don't know what's going on next year. You know, like my schedule is this year. If there's a new Ironman next year, I would try to put it in the schedule and, and go and, and be a part of it. So they, they give me opportunity to go where I want to go uh, and, and where people want me to go. So I just try to juggle it. And, you know, last year, I the funny story, because I was doing Ironman Texas, and then I was going to Ironman Santa Rosa two weeks later. Well, I hadn't been to Australia in 2000. I missed it in 2017. So last year they said, hey, you want to come back to uh, Port Macquarie? I go, yeah. you know, And I'd been doing Ironman in Australia. I've probably done it 19, 20 times. I said, yeah, that'd be great. And right away I just said yes. So I got a big calendar on my wall, you know, a, a market up calendar. And I said, well, I'll, I'll go print in Ironman Australia. And, you know, maybe Rose, my wife, will want to go with me. And I print it in and I look and I go, oh, no. It's in the middle of Texas and Santa Rosa, oh. back to back to back. And I'd never done that before. I'd done back to back Ironmans, which is, is tough. And I, I'm thinking, oh, my God, I'm going to die. How am I going to do that? So, yeah, you know, it it wasn't the events. It, it, it was the travel, obviously, that gets yeah. me. Cause I got home from Australia and, you know, and day, day and a half later, I'm flying up to Santa Rosa. So th- that won't happen again. I just, I just kind of, I kind of messed up. But <laughs> you learned the hard way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, at my age, I'm thinking, geez, Mike, you've been at this long enough, you dummy. Don't you know? <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I hope Iron Man takes care of you and for everything that you've helped the brand grow in such a, such a big way. They, they take care of me. They, they, they're very good to me. So, is being the voice of Iron Man the only thing you do, or do you have other side? interests or hobbies or careers well i always i always worked i uh was a sales rep uh from the late 70s to the uh late 80s uh in and then through 95 i i I repped other things and consulted and then in uh, 99 i was one of the original eight team members at active.com so i ran the sales for that company for 16 years and built it up to what it was. And then after that, I went to work with uh, uh, events.com to help them get started and was there about 18, 20 months. And then, you know, about two and a half years ago, I go, okay, I no more day jobs. I, I, I love the announcing. I love 
going to speak to groups and things like that. I want to get my book done. So, you know, two and a half years ago, I said, I'm just going to, you know, I, I don't need to work a day job anymore. I, I, I always had to because I just couldn't announce on weekends. And what am I doing during the week except riding my bike? I and mean, some people would think that's great, but I got to be doing something, mm-hmm. you know, really productive. So, so I always worked. It's just now, it's just, you know, people go, what do you do during the day when you're home? I go, whatever I want. I mean, what, what's wrong with that? You know, I'm, I'm looking what's the next race. And now with the book, that's that's a new career. You know, obviously, you know, people go, hey, you're an author. And it kind of hits me. Yeah, I guess so. And, and now it's just a matter of selling and marketing the book and getting it out there. Yeah. So talk to us about the book. I mean, when did the thought of that um, writing that come into your mind? And how did like, why did you want to write it? Oh, gosh, Bob Babbitt about 15 years ago said, you got to write a book. I go, really? Yeah, all the stuff you've seen? And yeah, I go, okay, that's cool. And that was 15 years ago. And then about 10 years ago, I, you know, I would always take, I take notes and have a little diary of all the races and, and people I meet and, and obviously the common stories about, you know, Mark and Dave and people like that. I, I just always knew those stories. And then, you know, about three years ago, I, what happened was I was in Lake Placid and I was kind of bragging to some people, hey, I'm going to write a book. And I had been putting, you know, some writing down and stuff like that. And then a year later, I'm at the uh, the mass the night before the race. Father Father uh, Dan Callahan, the Iron Friar, who's done Lake Placid a number of times, maybe like 17. Uh, he does the mass. It's really a, a cool deal. He brings everybody up on the altar afterwards, blesses them. We all walk outside and, and uh he sees me and he goes, hey, Mike. I go, hey, Dan, how you doing? Oh, I'll be all right. I'll finish. And he goes, so you, you got the book done? You got it finished? Because I told him a year before, Greg, you know, oh, I'm going to do this book. And I really wasn't that much further. And I go, no, I I, I don't yet. I'm, I'm still working on it. And he goes, well, okay. I think he kind of knew something. And he, so he blessed me and he blessed my future book. That was two years ago. And I walked away going, Riley? get your butt in gear and get it done, you know? So that, that kind of, and so it was two years of, you know, working and doing it and working with a, you know, I, I, Lee Gruenfeld, my writer, I brought him on about six, eight months ago. And, and, uh, you know, his wife has won her age group in Kona 13 times. So he kind of knows about the sport. He's a great writer, accomplished writer on his own. And, and, uh, we started collaborating and it just started flowing. And the last six months were magical of getting it done. And so you, you uh, like when we were talking earlier, you said the book was self-published. Now, was that just because that's the way you wanted to go? Or did you go to publishers initially? No, I yeah, I had a uh, agent out of New York, a very good agent uh, with a great resume. We got along fantastically, uh, wrote some sample chapters, you know, to give the publishing houses. And, and we had some people very interested in, but nobody really kind of came over the line and and we're going on and on and on. And finally, I had a conversation with my son and, and, and Andy runs the marketing company that does all the promotion for the book. And, and he goes, you know, Dad, I, I think we could self-publish this thing. I go, well, OK, look into it. I don't know anything about it. And he he's just one of those kids that bears down, came back. We can do this and it, it'll be better for us. You can put more money in your pocket. You have more control, you know, just all these so I, I stopped going to, you know, looking for the publisher route and said, all right. And once I got that 
out of the way. It's like now I can get on with the writing. And yeah. that's just kind of all how it all happened. You know, we with the, we controlled our own destiny with this book, with everything from the first word to the last sale. It's all ours. That's awesome. No, like it's amazing that you believed in the book and invested in yourself, you know, because I think writing a book is usually one of those things that people have on their bucket list, but then they just don't get to it. I can't tell you how many. Just in the last, even at Oceanside 70.3 this past weekend, I probably had five people come up to me and go, yeah, you, you, I'm so proud of you. And I didn't know, I don't know him like as a friend know him. I go, oh, thanks. No, you don't understand. I've been wanting to write a book for like 10 years. <laughs> I, I, and five or six people, I know I, I got to write this book. And I was in the same mode they were. It's just one day something happened and I, I kicked myself in the butt and said, get it done, you know, and. And before it was always like a never-ending story. I, you know, things, great stories just kept coming along. So where do I end this book? Where do I start? Where do I? But then when you bear down and just start putting it together, it just started happening. You know, a thousand words at a time. So now there's ninety thousand words in between the cover. Now it'll be easier the next time when you write the next book of stories. How come everybody says, Mike, oh, the next time it'll be, oh, my God. This, he this, just left the book two weeks ago. Uh, I, I, just, I just got the doggone thing out. You know, I'm, I'm still paying bills. Remember, I did it myself, so I paid stuff with nothing coming in yet. So, you know, you kind of want to make the, the, the P&L sheet look pretty good. So uh, hopefully I can do that first before I even start thinking about, you know, whatever, whatever is next. See, we're already thinking that it's going to be good. So we're already moving on to the next one. Well, you read this one first and then you give me a call and tell me. I will, for sure. All right. So what's in this book? Like, what is it about? And, you know, talk to us about the title as well, like Finding My Voice. So why did you decide to go with that as the title and what's in the book? Yeah, I had a few titles like, you know, Finding Your Finish Line. And, you know, it, it's always been about the athlete for me. And, and you know, it, it people... They, they they want to find my voice, even though it's my voice. They want to find that voice at the finish line. And I just thought finding my voice seemed appropriate because so many people had found my voice. They they came to me. They came to my voice. And that that's where it kind of came from. And that's interesting because I thought it would be like you finding your voice through the, you know, like. Yeah. Well, when you when you read the book, there's some underlying themes in there and lessons that I've been taught by what I've seen. And. Uh, I, I've, you know, finding my voice to me is finding yourself, who you are. How can you live with yourself? Can you be the person you want to be? Uh, and, and people, I've had people tell me they've gotten different meanings out of that. And they go, Mike, you know, I, you helped me find my voice in this book. So, you know, finding who they are, or finding their self or finding their soul, however deep or not deep you want to get. So that, that it just seems to encompass so much. Uh, and then when I started putting the book together, obviously I've got stories. Well, stories have to fit with one another. So what we did was we built chapter titles. Obviously, I've got a chapter, You Are an Iron Man, uh, and that whole thing. I've got a chapter of healing. I've got a chapter of Iron Miracles. I've got a chapter of doing it for a living. You know, I've got a chapter of better, not older. And, and racing, and one racing for a reason. And, and one just simply coping. And one transformation. So when I started building those, I go, this is a transformation, transformative story that, you know, she became 
somebody else after that. So I slot that story into that chapter. So that's that's really how I uh, how I built the book of all eighteen chapters. Well, if people are listening to this and people enjoy Humans of Triathlon, then you're definitely going to love the book because that's basically what it is. It's stories of athletes from around the world who've done Ironman and it's changed their lives. The, the book is a story about life. We go through so many ups and downs and so many hurdles and people telling us that we can't do it. But that's just It's every day, whether it's a bad boss or you're in a bad relationship or whether your kids aren't talking to you we we all go through those things and and we can't we can't hide them you know they're they're out there and and what these stories do is they they i, I wasn't i'm not trying to teach anybody a lesson we don't want to be taught lessons the biggest lessons we learn are the ones that we teach ourselves and that's what i think this these stories in the book will do sure i'll give my take on it sometimes and you know, I, I, I'm a big believer of you're the cause of your own experiences. And when you read that part of the book of why I believe that, I'm not telling you you need to think that way. It's just something to think about. Hmm. And that's what these stories are. Uh, you know, for for someone like uh, Kristen McQueen to have a goal in life, to have more Ironmans under her belt than surgeries for her cancer. And and when you read her story, you'll see what the score is, and it'll it'll almost knock you down when you read it. It knocked me down, and and so it it and it's people that you know. I wish <laughs> we all know that you know maybe the Blaze Man story or uh, others that Sarah Reinerson and I talk about them in the book, but there's stories we don't know that I think should be you know made for TV movies because they're so so touching and so incredibly satisfying to 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 read them and and know that this person is still out there battling just battling every day and there's a lot of fun, you know there's a lot of funny stuff in the book too there's some stuff in there that i've seen that you wouldn't believe so it it i go are you kidding me that guy just did that so yeah, people they they get they get weird sometimes at finish lines they they do stuff and you know, this one time at an Ironman, that's actually what I titled it. To have a guy coming down the finish chute, the the year I did Louisville, he stops 10 feet from the finish line. He's, you know, his, his front side's facing me, his back side's facing the crowd. He leans over and puts his hands on his waist, and I know he's going to pull his pants down and moon the crowd. I just, no I, go, way. I go, are you, I'm thinking to myself, are you sure? Are you, this is really going to happen. Oh, I, I go, and then I look, you know, this is all happening within like one or two seconds. And I see kids hanging over the railing, looking at the fitting. I go, this can't happen. So, you know, I, I, I pride myself on, you know, sometimes things come out of my mouth right away and I don't think about it, but I yelled to him. I said, if you do that, you're DQ'd for the rest of your life. And I, I, I screamed at him like a, a dad mad at the kid. And he froze in that down position. Pants were still up, came back up and looked at me and just smiled and, and ran on in. And I go, yeah, dude, I'm telling. And I gave him a look like, and then I called him, uh, you know, I called his name and called him an Iron Man and kind of laughed. And I'm thinking, I'll think, like, like I could decoy for life, but I was going to make sure he thought about that. And he, he didn't moon the crowd thinking this. 
afterwards, and then a lot of people work in the race. Really, that was unbelievable. I thought that guy was dropping trout. And I go, I know. What would we have done? I, I don't know. <laughs> you know. And, and then the race director said, I'd have DQ'd him. There's no doubt about that. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now that would have been awful. I know. I know. Makes a great story, though. <laughs> for life. Like, I, like we can DQ for life. I, for life. The guy's thinking, oh, my God, I'll never be a triathlete again. Okay, I won't do this. <laughs> to our listeners, that if you guys, uh, we understand that if you're lazy reading, because uh, not, not reading, reading books is not for everyone. This thing, as you know, it, if you love humans of triathlon, you will love this thing. And just for you, for your information, I'm not asking you to read the book. I'm asking you to wait a few days when the audiobook comes out with Mike Riley's voice on it. I mean, this is like the Morgan Freeman of sports talking to you. Oh, my God. So <laughs> wait for it. Yeah. Well, I, don't, I don't get paid as much as Morgan Freeman. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> <laughs> you should. It was an interesting process recording this. Obviously, never. I've done voiceovers and things like that, but those are – you know, two, three, four minute hits. That's like, whatever. You go in the studio and all of a sudden I've got the, you know, the laptop open in front of me and I'm in a room with the headset on all by myself. I got a producer in my ear, an engineer in the other room. And we just start going. And, and I could, I, I, I didn't read chapter one to chapter 18. I skipped around. I said, let me, let's do this chapter first. And, but it might've been the hardest single thing I ever did. It took 17 hours, believe it or not. It was over two days. I, I, I did it. I went into studio at two o'clock one day. Got out at ten ten thirty. When I when I when I was starting to slur my words, I couldn't get the word inevitable out. <laughs> and so they go, I think we're, I think we're done. And then I'd be reading, and I'd be into the story. I think think about it. I write it. I know it. So I'm. It's like me telling a story to you. Well, the producer would stop and say, "Stop, Mike." Okay, why? Well, you missed the word "the" in that sentence. And I wanted to go, well, who cares? <laughs> could, could you tell? And she goes, yeah, you can tell. You have to read every word. You have to get it down. And and I'm going, I go, well, I don't know if that's always going to happen. And my writer, Lee, was in the other room. So he would give me a thumbs up or thumbs down if it worked. Because if I read something and I knew I, I had lived a little bit, he'd be thumbs up because it sounded okay. So the, the audio book isn't word for word because I made sure that it wasn't word for word, but it was it was difficult. I, I, I get to, a, say, a hard chapter. There's a couple of hard chapters to get through for me because I was close to it. Mm. I get down and go, okay, I need a break. I do like a downward dog. I do like 10 push-ups. I'd go get some tea and come back in and, and uh, stretch out my arms and go take a deep breath and go, okay, let's go. Yeah, you know, it was, it, it was, it was an experience. But you said it took you seventeen hours, right? <laughs> yeah. So is that on purpose that it took you the same amount of time of a, of an Ironman race? After after I, uh, it was like the next day I got home. I go, okay, we, because you know you're paying for the studio time. It was it was just short of seventeen hours, so I made it under the cutoff time. I know that <laughs> <laughs> because I had to pay for every hour, so I knew how long it was. Nice. I mean, I think that's the cool thing about the audiobook is that you can go off script a little bit and add your own little thing, little flair to it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So have you have you gone off script and just added stories into that as well? No, I didn't really. I, I stayed within the stories. I didn't okay. add anything. I know some people do that and. Yeah. You know, hey, let me tell you a side story here. I, I just, 
I was, we were so ingrained into getting this thing done. And I know I only had the studio for two days. Otherwise, the third day would have been terrible. They couldn't even do me the third or fourth. So because they were booked up and I'm thinking, oh, my God. So you're kind of pushing yourself just to, you know, get done what I had written, let alone tell anything else. Hmm. So, you know, you mentioned earlier, like some of those stories were hard to get through. And, you know, when I get these stories for Humans of Triathlon or when they, people come on the podcast and share them, you know, some of them obviously just give you the chills, you know, like you can feel that emotion and just how much the sport has impacted them. But like when it comes to you, you're when you're in the position of being a, like an announcer of a race, you experience and feel that emotion firsthand, right? Like while it's taking place, while they're crossing that finish line. So, like, how would you describe that moment when you're calling someone across the finish line and you see all those emotions? It it I, it fills you up with it just fills you up with such joy and energy. You know, there's as I said before, it, you know, life is tough, and to be able to be a part of someone else's possibly greatest moment of their life. I mean, there's there's not a I don't know if there's a higher honor that that anybody can have that's why in the book a few times I say, i'm the luckiest guy in the sport i'm the luckiest guy there is i i get to be a part of their monumental day and i don't always know the backstory of that person coming on in not you know they, they could have battled whatever mental addiction cancer they they could have battled a loss of a loved one they you know and and this is healing them and and so i we're we're even though me and the, the the spectators there and people watching online don't know that backstory, but you can almost feel it. You can see it in their eyes. I mean, when I look into their eyes, I'm seeing inside their heart. I'm seeing inside their soul, and and I know there's something that that is is going to make them even a better person than when they stepped on that line. When they step beyond it, and the day after, and the day after, some somebody new is created. It, it's it's just amazing. And, you know, the other part of it is, think about it, in Kona alone, we can have up to 75 countries there. And, and, and I'm immersed in a world where I've never seen any nationalistic rancor or enmity rear its ugly head at an Ironman race. Mm-hmm. I've, I've never seen that. I've never seen a, a, a country be mad at another country or the politics. We are one shared world with one shared purpose to make ourselves better thus the world around us becomes a little bit better and as grandiose that that may seem or i'm philosophizing here or whatever it may be it's it's the absolute down truth it's, it's to me it's pretty simple it's really simple so i you know when people call me and say mike you announce races yeah i do i i announce races that's what it's called but i know what i have the the privilege to do is is a little bit beyond that <laughs> in in my world it's just it's just beyond that I, I, it's it's hard to put into words that's why i wrote a book hopefully i got enough words that you can you can figure it out with me so you you gave us a funny story are there any other give us one more memorable finish line moment for you or like a person who you remember or some a story that's in the book that's just like a really good one. Oh gosh uh I deal in the book with, uh, I, I don't deal with it. I, I write about it. Uh, we have so many men and women throughout the world that serve on behalf of their country, whether it's a police officer, firefighter, 
you know, military person, uh, they they put themselves in harm's way and, and things happen to someone. And PTSD, the post-traumatic stress syndrome, is is evident all over the world with a lot of service people. And, you know, I've got a story in my book of a of a, of a United States Marine that was in the Second Battle of Fallujah, which was the second largest loss of Marine life uh, of Marines ever since uh, Vietnam. And he, he, he survived this battle, but 21 of his comrades didn't. And can you even, you and I, we can't imagine that. We've never been in that situation. So he had some serious you know, survivor's remorse and didn't know what was going through his head. Well, now he was going to be uh, released, leave to go home. Uh, and he was at the way station, so to speak. It was at, actually at Abu Ghraib prison is where he was uh, being all set and put together to go home. And it was New Year's Eve. And he put his M16 rifle into his mouth with his finger on the trigger. Wow. He said, I'm done. I'm done. Wow. I, I can't do this. Because he just, why am I going home and my buddies aren't? I don't deserve this. And the only reason he didn't pull that trigger that night on New Year's Eve was because he thought about his wife and his family, of what they would say to their 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 friends and, and other people. He didn't want them to have that burden. So he took it out of his mouth. Well, it didn't get any better when he came home. He figured he'd do it naturally. You know, he snorting cocaine, drinking alcohol, driving his motorcycle at a hundred miles an hour. And he said, well, if it'll happen naturally, they, they'll just be able to tell their friends I was in an accident. It'll be easier on them. And finally, his wife said, you know, you, if you're going to you're, you're living to kill yourself, I'm, I'm not a part of this anymore. I'm leaving. And he was dearly in love with his wife. That was the only thread that was holding him, you know, to this earth. And and it kind of woke him up and he he went and talked to a next door neighbor. The guy that lived next door to him was a Vietnam veteran and said to him, you look just like I did when I came home from Nam. He goes, what do you mean? You look great now. He goes, yeah, I, look, I am great now, but you're not. And this is what you need to do. So he gave him a path to get help and get therapy. And he told him, you need to start working out. You need a routine. You need to do something for yourself. So he started running. And the feelings of this survivor's remorse and the PTSD, they, they were still there, but he was dealing with them. And to make, a, you know, the rest of the story is in the book, but to make it, he, he did Ironman Santa Rosa last year and and uh, he came full circle and he knows he's fine. And on that race, he carried an American flag in and handed it to a 13-year-old girl who was only three days old when his buddy when his buddy was lost in that battle. And he gave that flag to that 13-year-old daughter and said to her, I know your dad dearly loved you when you were, you were born. And he's still watching you today. And he's here and he says to me, he goes, Iron Man saved my life. I, I started running and I saw Iron Man. And the, the funny part, if there's a funny part of this story, he and his wife took a vacation no kidding. They went to Kona in October during Ironman week and had no idea about the race. Wow. Destiny. He's seeing people walk around and go, I'm a runner, but I don't look like these people. What the hell is this? This is, and finally sees the event, comes home and says, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do an Ironman. And, and, you know, a few years later, 
He's doing it. And after he did Santa Rosa, he took some time off to, to rest and everything. And some of those feelings started creeping back in. You know, he's not, he knows he's dealing with it. He's not cured. It's not something that, you know, you, you cut your arm and you get stitches and it goes away. That's not how PTSD and things like that happen. And, and they started, those feelings started coming back to him. And, and he's, and so he went back into his routine of working out and he was, he was back where he needed to be. So that's, that's just one of many stories. And, and, and I hope Mike's story, when others like him read it, it's not me telling them, hey, you got to go work out and get better. I, I, Mike Ergo is our the vehicle for those people out there who have served and they're going through hell, you know, when they come home or even when they're not home yet. And maybe his story can help them, you know, move to a better side of the path. No, yeah, absolutely. Sorry, I got a little emotional there. I'm still, you know, no. it, 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 uh, it's just a fact. It's just it's amazing. Uh, you know, I think we're in the greatest sport in the world. I think endurance sports is something that everybody should do. And and you know, I'm not. This book didn't. I didn't put this together to say, hey, you got to do an Ironman or you're not complete. You know, <laughs> I mean, yeah. all I'm saying is get your butt off the couch. You know, walk around the block, be a better human, eat better. You know what you have to do. We. We're not in grade school anymore. We don't need our teacher telling us what to do or our parents. It's deep down inside us if we know what we need to do. You just got to start it and do it. Just just get it started. Maybe this book will help people, you know, get started. Definitely. It's funny. I was going to ask you, you know, what would you say or how would, what would you say to that, you know, average person or that person that's on the couch, you know, they're, they're in their 30s, they're in their 40s, they've kind of let time and parenthood the, the excuse of, you know, oh, well, I'm a mom and that's why I'm overweight and I don't have time to do anything or exercise or things. But, you know, you've kind of covered it in terms of how do you, what do you say to those people to, to get them up and get them moving and, and inspire them to maybe not do an Ironman, but just to to get moving again. I've got a picture. Yeah, I've got a picture of my book of a little boy, Cody Beals. Yeah. It's on page 103. Cody. And Cody, uh, you know, had two prosthetics. He's just a young boy. And I put on the picture, your excuse is invalid. Yeah. That's what I tell him. Excuses are for babies. <laughs> Excuses are for kids. They're not for us as adults anymore. You know, you, you, if you want to make an excuse, you make an excuse that you, you are making an excuse. You're excusing yourself from life is what you're doing. And, and, uh, it's just, I know it's hard to take that first step. We, it's very hard to take that first step. But once you, once you do and you, you stay with it, you, that's why I love the chapter of, of, uh, in the book of Better Not Older because, the older athletes out there have set themselves on a path. And when they're 76 years old, still out there working out every day, they didn't start when they were 74. They started when they were 32 or 42 or 50. But they started and, and they and they stuck to that path. So it's, you know, you can only preach and tell people so long to do something. And people will come up to me and go, you know, I, I did Ironman last year, but I can't do one for another two years because... You know, I just had a new baby and I go, oh, that's cool. Uh, but I know you'll be back. 
He goes, yeah, I will. I'll be back. You know, it's always like I challenge him. I go, you'll be back. It's okay. And and they will. They're still working out and everything. You know, they just can't get the racing in sometimes. So I I was curious who the person on the cover of the book was. Well, I, I had a bunch of pictures. It, it, we whittled it down to like 10 and then five. I, I, I wanted to have a picture on the front of the book. I didn't, you know, didn't want a picture of just me standing there with a microphone in my hand. That's, you know, it's about, for me, it's about the athlete. And I wanted a picture to exemplify, you know, I'm a pointer. I love pointing at people when they do something or finish. And, and uh, I, I, this is, you know, a magical time when I'm down at the finish line at that 16-hour mark. And, and this picture just exemplified that. His name's Jim Meisner. Jim is out of uh, Phoenix. So, I, you know, with his race number, I can find him real easily. Uh, and so I called him up and said, hey, I'm thinking I sent him the picture. And he sent me the original so I could have a good one. And, and as a matter of fact, his son did it, uh, Oceanside 70.3 this past week. So I saw him at the, I had a book signing. And, and I see him there. I go, oh, my God, Jim, I didn't know you are going to be here. And so I gave him a book, signed it to him and gave it to him, obviously. And and uh, he goes and buys 10 more. <laughs> I go, so I said, hey, if I give you another book, will you buy 10 more? That'll be a good deal for me. <laughs> so, yeah, he just, he just, uh, he's an age grouper, the heart and soul of the sport. Hmm. Love it. So where can people get this book? It is, uh, they can go to MikeRiley.net. That's my website. Uh, click on book and it'll show you where you can buy it. Obviously, Barnes and Noble and BooksAmillion.com, Ironman.com's got it in there online. Uh, they're selling it. Uh, Amazon's got it, but they're shipping a little bit slow right now. Uh, but I think that'll, that'll perk up. So all the online outlets, you can get it. Yeah. I've got it in hardback. I've got it in soft cover. It's obviously an ebook. And uh, that audio, the audio is actually up on Google Play and on Barnes and Noble right now. So you, you can get it out there. It's just not up on Audible, which people tell me they sell about 60% of the books out there or 70% of the audio books out there. Yeah. So, but it'll, it'll be up soon. Great. So I was wondering, do you see this book as kind of a stepping stone as well to maybe other business ventures for yourself in the future? Well, I... I I believe that uh, I would love to do more public speaking. Yeah, when when I do an Ironman race, that's that's what I do. It's by public speaking. I love the ceremonies, the awards, and the welcome dinners and and everything. But I'd like to get to audiences who aren't at an Ironman race. And mm. even you know, it's easy to go talk to a tri club because they're they're of our our world. And and uh, but the, to be able to go talk to you know three hundred salespeople at a corporation i i know i can i i know not saying i in an ego type way can touch them i know what i say to them can touch them and uh whether it's in business or their family life or personal life or relationships with the kid whatever it may be i know the stories i portray to them uh will knock their socks off because people get into their own world and they the nine to five routine of you know, going to the office or whatever it may be. And maybe they work out or go to a gym or a club. And I always believe somebody's got to have that next big stepping stone in their life. I even put in the book, you know, the ones that set that dizzyingly difficult goal are the ones that just keep succeeding. They cause their own experience, you know. So 
uh, yeah, maybe maybe I'll speak a little more things like that because of the book or, you know, who knows? I just I'm a believer things will come your way. And if I want to pursue something, I'll go after it. Have you thought of starting a podcast? Yeah, my son's talked to me about that. I, I don't know if the time is right, mainly because of the time. I uh, I, I, I talk enough now and and uh, I, I just don't know if the time's right. I mean, okay. it, to, to do it. I, I think it's in my future. I just really want to get this book done, get through this season of races. And, and uh, I always kind of rejuvenate come November, December when I've got a few months off and I'll, I'll probably start thinking about it. Well, I'm sure many people would be interested in that. So definitely do keep that in mind. Yeah, I could I could, I could yell at everybody. What are you doing listening to this podcast? <laughs> you, better, you better be working out if the earphones are in right now. I'm telling you. You know, I could just go, God, Mike. Riding my bike while I'm listening to that podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, this is an hour and 10 minute podcast. You stay, you keep your butt on that bike that long. Here we go. <laughs> no, I like that you, um, you know, you want to extend the sport of triathlon, or it's not the sport of triathlon, but uh, I don't know, the heart of triathlon out past those people who are just in the sport. Uh, I feel the same way. There's so many inspiring stories and of overcoming difficult situations in life and that can be shared outside here that can inspire many others. And I, um, I like that thought of that. I know my company that I work for, I mean, it, sometimes you have people come in and talk. It would be amazing, you know, to see someone like yourself do that kind of thing. Plus we want, I, you know, we want, I, I'd love to have more people come into the sport, more people that are running, more people that, you know, do adventure races. I don't care. I just want more people to come into our sports. And uh, because once they do, they'll be, yeah. they'll be hooked. I know. <laughs> you know, they'll, they won't go anywhere. And so, you know, it, Maybe I'm out there like a preacher or, uh, you know, preaching the gospel of Ironman, but, or gospel of triathlon or endurance sports, but that, that's kind of what it is. I just know once they come into the, to the world, they'll be, uh, I, I just know they'll be happier. You just need to give them that spark. And you never know when that spark is given, right? It could be like through your book, it could be through a podcast. I mean, if they keep hearing it over and over again, they might just like be like, Okay, yeah, I, should, I, I could give it a go. I gotta try this. Yeah, a lot of times, yeah, yeah, a lot of us, we have to be told things quite. I mean, I'm a stubborn Irishman, and sometimes I'll get something in my head, and whether it's my wife or the kids or whatever. Dad, you gotta, yeah, 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 don't worry, don't worry. You know, and all of a sudden, two weeks later, yeah, I should have listened to him two weeks ago. You know, it's, we're all like, we're all like that. We just, you know, you get set in your ways and you wanna, you, you wanna control your own destiny, so you think, and, Sometimes you don't take advice, but advice is sometimes the best medicine we can we can hear or have. For sure. All right, Mike. So as we sort of wrap things up and take uh, take us to the end of the show, um, just a final few questions. So what what would you want? What's the message you would want people listening to take away from your own story? I want them to take away the message that they actually thought of and told themselves while they were reading these stories. You know. It, it, the, the message, everybody's in a different place in their life at certain times. And the story about uh, Kristen or the story about Mike Ergo I told you about is going to affect somebody in a different way than it will you or I because they're in a different spot in their life. Uh, 
So that lesson they're going to learn is going to be a self-taught lesson. Even though they're reading a story was written by me, they're reading about someone they may not know, but they're going to learn a lesson that they tell themselves. They will. Uh, it, that's why I didn't want to try to preach or tell a lesson, you know, say, you should take away from this. This is what you should do. That's not because people don't want to be told. They want to, they want to figure it out themselves or, and, and that's what I hope, that's what I hope they are able to do is teach themselves a lesson. Awesome. Love that. Okay. And are there any people or brands that you like to give a shout out to here? No, 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 no brands. I mean, it's funny. I, I've repped so many brands over the years. I mean, I love everybody in the business. I, the business of triathlon, I'm a board member of Triathlon Business International, which is the, we, we try to help the businesses of triathlon because they need to prosper and do well, whether it's a running shoe company or a bike company or a water bottle company, whatever it may be, or a nutrition. So I, I love all, I love all the, the products and the vendors within the, within the world. But, uh, you know, the shout out, I, I always give my shout out to the, to the athletes for letting me do what I do and, and, uh, being a part of my world. I mean, that's, if, if there wasn't the age groupers out there trying to strive to become a better human, uh, I, I don't know what I do. So thank you to them. Okay. And our last question is usually, why do you try? But I'll ask you, why do you announce try? <laughs> what else is there to do? I, I, I think I was, I just think I was born and designed for this. I, it just, it's something that uh, comes very naturally to me. It's not, I never have apprehension when the microphone is turned on. Sure, I can have some nerves and stuff going on a stage, and but uh, it, it, yeah, I prepare well, and and I'm right where I want to be. So, it, it, I do it because it's me, and you know, I'm able to produce income. It's something I love. I have a passion for. That's one of the greatest things there is. And like I said earlier, you know, I, I get to make someone else a little bit happier. Just by my words, you know, and, and just what I say to them. I, and I don't know what my people go, oh, Mike, keep talking. I love your voice. I don't know what my voice sounds like. We don't know, you know, it, so people like it. it but I, I would hope it's as much the words that come out as, as the sound they hear. So it, uh, I, I, there's no better place I'd rather be. I do it because I'm, I was made for it. I think I really was. Awesome. Mike, it was amazing having you on the show. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on. Thank you, guys. I, you know, that, I was a little apprehensive at first. I go, oh, my gosh, I'm going to have three of you coming at me. What a, <laughs> this is going to be like like, 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 like a, a quick rapid fire. I'm going, oh, my gosh. <laughs> I don't know if I can. But it was, uh, you made it easy on me. You know, it's all it's good. Well, congrats on the book and everything else. And we definitely look forward to future conversations and seeing you continue doing what you do best. Well, I, I, I can't wait to... Uh, Sheila, you'll be in Montreal, so we'll sign the book there. Charles, I can't wait to meet you one day. And you too, Swapnell. Likewise. Actually, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be in Boulder. So I think I'm going to meet you there, Mike. Yes, you are. I will be in Boulder. I'm also going to be at Lake Placid, but I'm going to be there as a uh, supporter. So. Maybe I'll see you there too. 
Well, that's okay. Then we can go. We can go have a beer. We're not racing. Exactly. It'd be great. No, be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good with that. Yeah, okay. Done deal. All right. Done deal. It's Triple C. It's C Cube. It's Community Comments with Charles. Okay, I think I was a bit lame, but you know what? This is what it is. You guys love it. And this is Community Comments with Charles. Um, I think this time we're going to go to the USA, you know, as usual, classic. And uh, we're going to say the following. This podcast sums up everything wonderful about triathlons. The struggle, the pain, the success, personal achievement, overcoming obstacles, etc. I like to listen while I'm doing long, slow bike distances. It keeps my attention, makes me a better triathlete, and motivates me to keep pushing. Thanks. This comes from at Wanderlust732. Thank you very much for this and all of your overwhelming comments uh, that keep coming, and we love it. Uh, and next time, you know, next week it could be you, so keep sending them. Don't be shy. And you know what? You can find us on Facebook, on Instagram, on Strava, on, um, let's call it humansoftriathlon.com. Yeah, my website. Yeah, have you, have you forgot about that? No, hopefully not. See you later, alligator in a wild crocodile. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for being a part of this Humans of Triathlon community. Hope you're enjoying the show and the other content. Make sure to join us again next week here on the Hot Podcast, where we'll bring you another amazing guest and story from this Audrey but extra Audrey world of triathlon. Until then, everyone, keep trying. <laughs>